Isaac Shade here, co-host of the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Join Andy Patton and me every Monday as we break down all the buzzer-beating action, conference rivalry games, and need-to-know bubble matchups ahead of the NCAA tournament. Check out the Locked On College Basketball Podcast every Monday, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Oregon's brought in a bevy of new transfers. What are the most impactful ones potentially bring to the table? We'll talk about that today. Here we go. You are Locked On Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time once again for Locked On Ducks. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day, and your number one source to stay up to date with the Ducks. Today's episode is brought to you by Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, use code Locked On for $20 off your first purchase. Joined today by our Locked On Recruiting Insider here at the network, Brian Smith, as good of a film breakdown guy as you're going to find. Oregon's got all sorts of new players, so let's get to some (laughs) recruiting talk brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs, our recruiting sponsor here at the network. Brian, I want to start with Jamari Caldwell. Literally speaking, he'd be the biggest guy that Oregon has brought in. He is a big dude, He's playing on the interior, going to do that again for the Ducks. What does the former Houston Cougar bring to the table? If you're going to block him, you better not use one guy and run the ball at him. He's basically what Lanning was used to having when he was at Alabama, etc. He's a player that is going to need a double team, and if you put one on him, he's athletic enough to chase a guy down from behind as well. He's not just a space eater. Getting kids like that is rare, but getting them from Houston, even rare. It, it just shows you the transfer portal, man. You just don't know. And uh, 6'1", 325. There are not many of those people walking around planet Earth. So getting him, it's not just like you've got a good player. You've got a player at a position that is truly hard to find. Yeah, and he's a guy that fills a big need for the Ducks with their top four defensive tackles from the interior departing this year. Now, there there are a lot of talented guys from the 2023 class. You got Aiden Breland coming in as well, poised to, as you've pointed out, make an impact as a true freshman in some capacity. But when you lose Brandon Dorless and Popo Amavai and Casey Rogers and Taki Taimani, you just look at that group and say, boy, you'd love to have kind of a veteran experienced presence in there. When you look at him and you say 6'1", 325, I think for Oregon fans, that jogs memories of Jordan Scott. I assume you remember him. Oh, yeah. yeah. He, he, are there similarities there to the way they play? Because Scott was just such a great run stuffer for the Ducks. I feel like Caldwell can do a little bit more of that, but are they similar? I think Caldwell might be better as it relates to the ability to flush the pocket. But that's, you know, that's pushing the envelope as a nose guard again. If you're getting blocked by two people, you're not going to get a lot of sacks and pressures. But you also open up space for other people. It's the hardest position in sports to grade because they're not going to make a lot of plays and the stat sheet's not going to be full. He might have one tackle and a quarterback pressure and be the most impactful player in the game. And you're like, what? That's because everybody around him was one-on-one all the time. That's the key for a nose guard, and that's how a 3-4 defense or a 3-3-5 can work. Not many teams are going to have guys like him that can move like that. So it's a chess piece, a unique one. 
in one that Wanning's experienced with from his days in the SEC. And we've talked about it on this show before. Spencer, they want to have an SEC-style defense. You can't have one without a big nose guard. Yeah, I think back to guys like Jordan Davis, Jalen Carter kind of being in the middle. Not that he's necessarily on those guys' level. They were exceptional and are currently both playing for the Philadelphia Eagles. But in that kind of role is, I think, where he certainly projects for the Ducks. So a really good pickup there to fill a need in the portal. And then I'm just curious to see as well, you know, which guys from that 2023 class are are going to be players in the interior. There are going to have to be some. They're like that. That's that's just reality for the Ducks. I don't know if that's Amari Washington or Terrence Green or Johnny Bowens or or if it's Aiden Breland coming in. We'll, we'll just kind of have to wait and see. But another transfer that the Ducks brought in came in, in the secondary. Cam Alexander, a guy who began his career at the level that I do play by play at the FCS level with Sam Houston, and they were a really really good FCS program. They've made the jump to Conference USA. He started there. He goes to UTSA. He has an all-conference season. He grades as a four-star transfer according to 24-7 Sports coming to the Ducks. He's not the biggest corner, not like a Sione Laulea, whose video I, I saw you talking about a while ago and you know his hip movement. He's six foot three. That to me gives me Kyrie Jackson vibes. But Alexander is more, you know, 5'10, 5'11 or so. What do you see from him on film? He's very instinctual. Look. There's no substitute for that. Some guys are the best athlete, and then they don't make any plays. It's very frustrating because sometimes guys, you know, they, they were blessed physically, but, you know, if you don't have a feel, you can get beat quite a bit. And at corner, that could cost a team game. So that's that's a really testy spot. So it was interesting. He had a couple really big plays this past year, and he'll play physical despite, as you noted, not being the biggest guy in the world. That's also part of football, man. In the screen game, everybody's looking for that one play that everybody knows coming, but your guy doesn't make the right run fit, if you will, on a passing play, and it's 70 yards for a touchdown or something, and it's just a quick throw. Everybody runs the same plays. It's not any newsflash. He's a guy I would feel comfortable taking care of the flat. He's a guy I'd also feel comfortable playing off zone and jumping a route. He's had that experience and all of that in today's world, especially as the Ducks jump into the Big Ten playing against an Ohio State passing offense, maybe in the Big Ten title game next year. Who knows? Those are the kind of guys you want. So Florida State, Miami, whatever you think about traditionally, like the schools down South Alabama, they always have those kids, that experienced guy that makes the big play. Talk about Southern football. He fits into that. And again, that's what Lanning wanted to bring to Oregon. There you go. You, you talked about his physicality and that being you know a feature of his game. And I think Lanning has showed – you know, a, a propensity to bring in all different sorts of corners and play different sorts of corners. You know, Christian Gonzalez came over from Colorado, incredibly mm -hmm. skilled first round pick. I wouldn't describe him as a physical guy. I think he just had elite ball skills, great hip movement and high end speed. Whereas you look at a guy like Kyrie Jackson, who's off to the NFL, the first thing I think about with him is physicality. So Oregon's going to have a lot of different bodies competing for playing time specifically the cornerback spot. It's true for safeties as well. But do you think that Alexander is someone who, with that physical style, plays on the outside? Can you move him to the inside corner position? Where do you think he slots in and uh, for the Ducks' defense? You know how much I like to talk about the nickel corner because it's really hard to fill. Here's a guy that can do it, hypothetically. It just depends on how does it work together as a unit. Because if the field corner spot, while it'll get help sometimes from a safety, 
anytime you blitz or whatever, that's the wide side of the field, more area to cover. And if you're one-on-one, eh, you tend to like to have the experienced guys out there. What do you think? I mean, you know the roster better than me. Do they have a true cover one guy that can play at the NFL level? Because on the outs- on the outside? Oh, yeah. I think Jaleel Florence can be that sort of guy. I, I, I think Jaleel Florence was the number two corner for the Ducks behind Kyrie Jackson. I, I think if he comes back healthy, he can be poised for an all-conference caliber season. I, I am curious because they brought in Brandon Johnson from Duke as well in theory, to be the nickel back. That's where he has, you know, played a lot at during during his time at Duke. And he certainly fits into that sort of profile. And I feel like Alexander is, he played outside corner at UTSA, right? I feel like he can be a little bit of a tweener where he kind of goes where he's needed because he's not a big, you know, Kyrie Jackson was 6'3", Gonzo was 6'1", Triquez Bridge is 6'3". Those are not guys you're lining up in the slot. You're just not yeah. going to do it. But correct me if I'm wrong, Brian, 5'10", 5'11", is kind of that in-between range. Yeah, well, it's not only that. He's played long enough and he's been in through enough weight room sessions. The play I talked about earlier is the key. It's the screen game. Because when you have a tight end in front of you, I don't care how fast you are like Gonzalez or whatever. They're just going to run over you. If you're not a physical guy and it's second down and one or it's a touchdown, that's why the nickel is so hard because the, the next play, it might be a 5'10", 170 kid that runs 4-4. It's not fun. But, I mean, Oregon's like everybody else. We don't know who's lining up where with these personnel packages. If he's physical enough, like – at least in my opinion, based on the film, he's at least going to get that shot. How will they develop other guys? you got to have other players to rotate, but that's a really key component. And with his experience, he can play outside too. They might move him. They might move him around depending on, okay, this team has a slot that's a dude. We'll put him there. Landing knows defense. I, I wouldn't be too worried about it if I was a Ducks fan. Yeah, I think it's just a, a point of curiosity for Duck fans to, to see how this all plays out. Throughout spring football, you got Florence, you got Laulea, now you've got Johnson in the mix, you've got Cam Alexander, you've got young guys who are already on the roster that, that could be poised to, to make a leap. So I think it's all fascinating. But Brian's going to have some thoughts about an offensive player as well, uh, that be Evan Stewart. After I share some thoughts about FanDuel, the NFL regular season is wrapped up, but guess what? Good news for all of you. There's still time to get in on the action with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get 150 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. You don't actually have to be right. You just have to place the $5 bet. Doesn't get a whole lot easier than that. And when you do, you get 150 bucks in bonus bets. The app is super easy to use. There are a bunch of different ways to bet. You can do live same game parlays. You can find bets in the new explore tab, make a parlay in the parlay hub, which is the best place to find popular parlays, all of that and more. So visit fandle.com slash locked on, make your first bet a layup. That's fandle.com slash locked on, Fanduel official partner of the NFL. March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. 
Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Let's talk about the offensive side of the ball, Brian. Oregon brings in Evan Stewart. To me, he looks like the sort of guy who can be a replacement for Troy Franklin, who's going off to the NFL, and I think he's going to have an outstanding career there. I hope he goes to the Chiefs. But I I think that for Evan Stewart, he's coming into a wide receiver room that's got Tez Johnson, who was a 1,000-yard receiver, Treshawn Holden, plenty of talent, Gary Bryant Jr., (laughs) Jury on Dickey, battled injuries. He'll be ready, I think, to contribute more come 2024. What was Evan Stewart's profile coming out of high school, and what do you see him still being able to bring to the Ducks after two years with the Aggies? He was a five-star recruit. Everybody knew about Evan coming out of high school. He's a Dallas kid. He tore it up before he was ever a senior. He had uh, Hooks was his trainer. He's a guy that's a famous trainer in Dallas. The video of him before he got out of high school made him look like a route runner that you would see in the NFL. And it translated to Texas A&M, although their quarterback play has been a little iffy during much of his time in College Station. But he could run, man. He, he makes guys miss after the catch. He can get over the top. But most notably, Evan is a route runner, and he's going to fit right in in any offense. Route runners never go out of style. So the question with him is, where do the, just like the last conversation, where do you play him? A&M moved him around some, and it didn't matter. Nobody was going to guard him one-on-one very often anyway. So I'm curious to see what the Ducks do. They've got a quarterback with a vast amount of experience. That seems like a great combination. I mean, if he caught 80 balls this year, it would not surprise me. Yeah, I think trying to replace Troy Franklin is a tough assignment, shall we say. And I don't think you can ever make that, you know, one-to-one comparison. Evan Stewart, I think, could have a great season for the Ducks and maybe not even come close to Troy Franklin's season, who just had the best individual receiving year in the history of Oregon football. So he he set the bar very high. But Franklin's a guy who ran the whole route tree. You know, they didn't use him in the screen game much this year. But other than that, slants, deep ends, posts, corner, fade, 1v1, down the field shots, everything was there. Is Stewart a guy that you feel being able, that he is able to come in and do everything that Troy Franklin did at at least a similar level? I think he's as good, if not better, talent-wise. Now the question is, like, no, trust me, this is not a normal football player. I've seen him play live multiple times. I've seen him film and, and on TV. He just makes guys look stupid. And even when they're good DBs, there are a lot of plays, because everybody knew he was their guy. It wasn't any secret at AM, and it's the SEC. Every team's got a DB of some kind. He made a lot of plays. Oregon had an experienced quarterback, and obviously Troy was a great player. But they're going to have Evan, who I'm telling you, he's just as talented, if not more so. He was offered by every school pretty much in the country for a reason. So let's just see what he does. But Oregon might be a little more balanced this year, too, especially with the senior quarterback like the one they're having. He could throw it or mix it around. But in money situations, Evan's going to get the ball quite a bit. Yeah, and he's six one, kind of one. He's a little bit. He's, yeah. he's the twitchy guy in space that is just annoying. Yeah, But he's got pretty long arms and phenomenal hands. Yeah, and I think that when you look at his numbers at Texas A&M, they don't wow you. But you touched on it earlier. Their quarterback play was inconsistent. They didn't always have the same guy. It wasn't always very good. And Jimbo's offense clearly is outdated. I I think this is a guy who in this Oregon offense can be a 1,000-yard receiver. 
I think that's pretty much just par. I think 65 catches to 80 catches range in a thousand yards is about right. Now that's assuming you have the same guy. He didn't have that either year at A&M, which is truly unfortunate. And he was probably fed up. And, and the quarterback they had this year, the kid was a soft, he's talented. He just couldn't stay healthy. And then, you know, it is what it is. So I'm telling you, and it's his money here. He's going to turn pro after this next year. It means something for him to produce. You can bet Evan is going to be up to that task. He's a very competitive kid. Yeah, love the film breakdown there. Let's talk about uh, something big picture before we get to some mailbag questions. So Dan Lanning had quite the two-week stretch. It was really over the course of 10 days or less in which he was tied heavily to the Alabama job. He releases a video that drew copycat videos across the country of, I'm not going anywhere. I'm staying. I'm Oregon's coach and everything like that. And then on the heels of that announcement, Oregon landed two guys that we've talked about today. Jamari Caldwell, the defensive tackle from Houston, and Evan Stewart, the wide receiver from Texas A&M. Both blue chip recruits in the transfer port. I mean, Texas wanted Jamari Caldwell. And he was already in the state of Texas and Oregon was able to go get him. And Evan Stewart, lots of people, as Brian said, offered him, wanted him, and Oregon was able to go get these guys. These were high-profile transfer additions for the Ducks. What kind of message did Dan Lanning send to the college football world with that video, the statement, and then on the heels of that, kind of turning it into a recruiting pitch to land those two guys? That maybe he really is in the idea of, okay, Oregon can be where I can make my career. When he went there, I highly doubt that was his plan whether Oregon fans want to hear it or not. He's a Southern guy. I mean, Oregon's not very Southern. But the Alabama job came and went. I don't know where he was with it, but he got out of it pretty quick. And he just seems to be locked in because you wouldn't get those commitments if you weren't putting forth a lot of effort. Trust me, Evan Stewart's cell phone probably about blew up when he entered the portal. He picked the Ducks. Lanning had to put in that effort. So did his staff. They wouldn't be putting that in if they didn't think Dan was staying. Maybe this is a long haul move and he doesn't really want to go back down to the shuffle. That is the SEC. So if that's the case, man, I think this is a big statement because going into the big 10, it's a message with all our talent, SE style, you guys are going to have to deal with this. They'll be one of the front runners in the first year to win the league. And this is why. Yeah, on that note, this mailbag question came in from Bud, which is always open, YouTube comments or uh, X, formerly known as Twitter, at S. McLaughlin CFB or at Locked on Ducks, DMs and mentions wide open. You can also get priority access over at Subtext. What do you think the impact, or how long do you think the impact of Lanning making this affirmative statement of, Oregon is my home, this is where I'm going to be the head coach, I want to work to win a national championship here. Obviously, it appears... Maybe it was a coordinated effort to, you know, drum up the momentum, in which case it absolutely worked. But how long does that momentum last? You know, does that matter for Oregon's recruiting going forward that Lanning can go to recruits and say, I'm trying to build a national champion here at Oregon. And my proof to you is that I decided to stay emphatically with the Ducks over Alabama. That is a great question because recruits, they look at something today they go to sleep, and then tomorrow they've forgotten about it. That's often the case. They're teenagers or teenagers. But it's more importantly about the ADs and the boosters. He's going to get those phone calls for years because he coached 
at Alabama and he coached at Georgia. So with that being stated, I don't think it'll go away for them. The public perception and recruiting, I think he's fine. He just needs to continue to do what he's doing, and Oregon's obviously going to pay him very well. It's uh, also Phil Knight University, as I like to call it. So they have the well, – it, it is what it is. They have those opportunities for him, and it's a neat place, man, especially with them going into the Big Ten. It's pretty unique. I mean, they get to play a coast-to-coast schedule in college football. And can't wait for I, I can't wait for those conference games against Maryland. It'll 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 feel ridiculous. Raw. Yeah, it'll feel ridiculous. Is what it'll be. I, I think the first time you know Oregon's first Big Ten conference game is at UCLA, so that won't feel normal. Then Michigan State comes to town to Autzen, and that will feel you know weird and odd. But the first time they travel to a Big Ten stadium during the season is mm-hmm. when I will really go. This is this is whack. This 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 stuff is. Who do they play first on the road? Uh, um, I will I, I I will double check on that, and we've still got more to get to. We are getting to game time first, though, of course, because you shouldn't have to worry when you buy tickets to your next big event. Game time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater events near you. With killer last-minute deals, all-in prices, views from your seat, and their best price guarantee, Game Time takes the guesswork out of buying tickets. Game Time is the only ticketing app that gives you complete peace of mind with your purchase. You buy tickets in seconds with just two taps you see the view from your seat before you arrive they give you all in prices so you know you're getting a great deal before you check out take the guesswork out of buying tickets with game time download the game time app create an account use code locked on for twenty dollars off your first purchase term supply again create an account redeem code l-o-c-k-e-d-o-n for twenty dollars off download game time today last minute tickets lowest price guaranteed All right, so piggybacking off of Brian's fantastic and accidental tease into this final segment here on the show, Oregon begins the season in the Big Ten at UCLA, that won't feel strange, hosting Michigan State, then hosting Ohio State in what is going to be that's going to be a heck of a football game because Ohio State and Oregon have got some things in common in that both teams feel like they've got unfinished business. The first real Big Ten road game. October 19th, going at Perdont, more commonly referred to as Purdue. I've always called them that because that's, that's I just kind of always have. So that's going to be the first game. They'll be in West Lafayette, Indiana, playing Purdue on October 19th in a classic Big Ten showdown. Isn't it, Brian? I mean, I, I grew up in Indiana. We never discussed Oregon. There's a reason. Here. <laughs> so Oregon and Purdue, I believe, last played in 2009. They came to Autzen Stadium, and Oregon winning that non-conference game was kind of a turning point in the year. Chip Kelly was kind of losing the locker room, and winning that game stabilized what was ultimately a Pac-10 championship season for the Ducks. So that's the first road game that'll truly feel strange, but it'll feel weird when, you know, in the middle of October, Michigan state and Ohio state uh, come to town, Jonathan Smith and the Buckeyes in back-to-back weeks, plenty of storylines there, but let's get back into the recruiting angle of this. Cause there were a couple other mailbag questions that came in that I, I thought you would be uh, interested to answer this one from Katie. When did we transition recruiting from quote, 
come to Maryland for the crab cakes, Southern California for the warm beaches style to quote, play for our awesome coach, quote, end quote, to now just come play for money. Fascinating kind of transition there. My, my takeaway to that, Brian, is that all three of those elements have always been a part of recruiting. NIL is just a greater part of it now. But some kids might want to go to Southern California for the beaches or to Maryland for the crab cakes or to Eugene to, you know, see an actual fall and see the leaves change color on the trees or something like that. But what, what do you make of that depiction of the recruiting landscape? To each their own. You're right. It, it depends on the player. It depends on the family. I know certain kids want no part of the upfront up NIL because they want to earn it, but they expect once they get there and do something to get a big check. Everybody has a different perspective on it. And some kids, it's just about the location at the school. They want to be closer to mom. So it's every recruit is different. Uh, there is no one size fits all. For Oregon, it's unique, though, because the points are still valid. They're going to eventually play a game at Maryland. I will call you that day and make fun of you. Just because. <laughs> but that's, you know, I'm, just I don't, I don't think I'll be able to go off play by play with Southern Utah, man. I, uh, that's, a, that's a long, that's a long trip, but I'm sure some duck fans will make the trip. Well, I mean, a lot of people probably will. They'll make it into vacations. I mean, go see the Smithsonian or something like that in DC. That's true. DC's cool. The university of Maryland is a suburb of DC. So anyway, to make a long story short, She's correct across the board, but it depends on the recruit. So, by and by the way, Maryland does come to Autzen this year on November 9th. Uh, that's the week before Oregon goes to Madison to play Wisconsin. That's always an awesome atmosphere. Talk about Big Ten games or atmospheres. I'm I'm actually excited to see Oregon playing. Wisconsin's awesome. I, um, yeah, that's, that's a different kind of cold too. <laughs> Yeah, at the end of November, that is definitely that's definitely a a different one. This is another thought, and we're gonna end today's show on uh, this note. This question from Oregon Man Twenty Two. Random thought while listening to your show: Could Group of Five and FCS schools become pipelines like states in recruiting? UTSA is an example. With the transfer coming in from UTSA, that's Cam Alexander, who we talked about earlier, the corner, and Stein being from there. Could you see coaches from UTSA persuading a kid to look more towards a certain school because of relationships in a way making a recruiting pipeline? Hopefully that explained what I was thinking. Keep up the good work and thank you for responding. So I'll, I'll, I'll start on this relationships have always influenced recruiting. I mean, Brandon Johnson got to Oregon from Duke because who was one of the kid, one of the guys that recruited him when he was a kid coming out of high school? Well, it was Chris Hampton, Oregon's defensive backs coach and co-defensive coordinator. So that element of it has always been there. What I want your thoughts on, Brian, is this idea that, you know, a kid could go to a lower level school, kind of cut his teeth in college football a little bit, or I don't even know if that's an expression. I might have made that up. But do that for a year or two and then transfer to a school where he would have just been sitting for a couple of years. It seems a little tinfoil hat-ish, but not totally ridiculous that that could be a recommendation from a coaching staff where they say, hey, go find a place where you can play, get your feet wet, get experience, and then come transfer to us when you're ready. 
I mean, it's not out of the question. If you mean Oregon to tell him that or another school like Oregon, I do know that there are kids that have told me or people around them that, hey, it's okay to go to Georgia Southern or whatever it is because I know I'm not going to be there after two years. I've had several of those. Now, somebody orchestrating it from another place, I haven't heard, but nothing would shock me with college football at all. Yeah, I mean, we live in a world now where kids can transfer as many times as they want. I read before we came on here to record that there's, uh, you know, legislators are involved with basically oh. putting, putting uh, not, not to bed, but um, putting their stamp of approval on kids can transfer as many times as they want without penalty, which... That's a terrible idea, by the way. Horrendous. There would be some consequences to it. I mean, the NCAA has already kind of done that. They, they say you can transfer twice, but if, if, it, if we go to unlimited transfers, this thing is all just going to blow up even, even more. We, we, we got 60 seconds to wrap up. If, if that becomes a thing and kids can transfer as many times as they want, your reaction to that would be what? Awful idea. Uh, a lot of boosters would pull out and a lot of people that are involved that are good people would also pull out, meaning a lot of good coaches. Coaches are not going to put up with that because their livelihood is based on the players, the good players. And a lot of guys don't want to deal with that. It is as bad a scenario as you can possibly summarize. Brian Smith, our Locked On Recruiting Insider here at the network at FB Scout underscore Florida on X, formerly known as Twitter. Brian, great, great stuff today. Appreciate it as always. Thank you, sir. Appreciate everyone listening. I will see you next time. Have a wonderful rest of your day. And as always, go Ducks.